This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black on Federal News Network. One-on-one interviews with the people who've left a lasting imprint on the government and the nation. Now your host, Aileen Black. Today I'm talking with Essie Miller. Ms. Miller is a career member of the Senior Executive Service and currently serves as the Principal Deputy for the Department of Defense Office of the CIO. In this capacity, Ms. Miller assists the Deputy DOD CIO as the primary advisory to the Secretary of Defense for Information Management, Information Technology, and Information Assurance, as well as non-intelligence-based program systems, critical satellite communications, navigation, and timing programs, spectrum, and telecommunications. Well, that's a lot, Essie. That was a lot of words. <laughs> Welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. And I know we're practicing social distancing and we're recording uh, from our uh, remote locations. Thanks, Aileen. It's great to spend some time with you. So, Essie, you have been a leader in the Pentagon for over a decade. And clearly, a, 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 by its very nature of a military organization, a tough place. Um, you also are uh, a woman in a minority in a very male-dominated organization. Um, can you describe your leadership style and, and uh, maybe comment on if you alter your style depending upon the audience or um, situation? Wow. I'll answer the second one first. Yes, I do. If you rewind to earlier in my career, probably very focused on getting tasks accomplished as I matured. It became more mission-focused and more strategic, obviously, which meant really understanding the skills and talent around me, understanding the missions and objectives of the organization, and how to bring those two together to accomplish things, which meant my leadership style really is very relational, although very focused on achieving objectives. But I really like to connect with the people and understand their strengths and weaknesses so we can play to that and use it to the advantage of the organization I'm in. So it's really pretty neat. I am an introvert by nature. I call myself a, a pretend extrovert because it, it forces me to reach out to folks more than I'm comfortable with sometimes. But I also find that allows me to be a bit more authentic because I really do think through my engagement and try to listen and understand the folks that are around me, which has worked well for me over the years in terms of one, making a connection to understanding the people and offering a bit of transparency there where they're willing to come talk about things that they wouldn't normally talk about. Bodes well as a leader, but it also plays to to the sensitive side, which we're not always comfortable with. As a minority female, I, I, I acknowledge and recognize it, I try not to focus on it because I find if folks come to the table with stereotypes and biases, I like to leave that with them 
and prove them otherwise with the value I bring. And that has worked for me over the years. Now, has it been tough at times? Yes. But I like to make it less of my issue and leave it with the individual that brings that to the table. Um, you know, I, I would imagine there's many days you arrive in a meeting room there in the Pentagon and you may be the only person who looks like you at the table. Um, has there been any stories that you could share about how you faced an obstacle? And you described a little bit about your methodology, but can you, can you share a story about how you dealt with somebody who maybe had that uh, conscious or unconscious bias? You know, Eileen, I'm sorry. I could go back to, oh, I think I was down with the Air Force still. And one of the early, early leadership jobs I had, sitting in a meeting, and quite interesting, the person that was chairing the meeting was a female. And she thought I was the administrative person in the room to take notes. Had no clue who I was, had no idea you know, what my purpose was, but immediately jumped to my being the new administrator on the team and there to take notes. Made for an interesting conversation, particularly from a female perspective. And it was a great mentoring moment. It, you know, it's tough enough for females as it is. You know, we have a responsibility not to make it tougher on one another but also an opportunity to reinforce, you really need to know your audience and get to know the folks that are around the table before you start jumping to conclusions. So that's on one end. On the other end, you know, having a, a mentor tell me early on not to worry about my career because I would fall in love, have children, get married, and career would not be a priority. But those were incidents that I used to just energize me even more. And as long as I focused on my performance, again, I found it, it bode well for me. I'm working hard to build my credibility. People still see me as a minority. They know I'm a female, but they also know, again, the value that I bring. And that's always been my goal. My son teases me all the time about make, wanting to make sure my credibility remains intact. So I, I find once you establish that and people know, they don't look beyond again, they see you as you are, but they really do understand what you bring. Speaking of the younger generation, um, a lot of challenges today and, and certainly a lot of uh, um, documented uh, bias um, uh, for the African-American community. Uh, do you have any um, words of wisdom that you would have for maybe somebody like that that would like to reach the goals and objectives that you've been able to in your career? Or is there any um, skills or uh, strategies that you would employ in today's world? I had a session with a group of young ladies last week, and we had a very similar conversation. And my thought to them was to do just that, start with a conversation. 
that conversation then allows folks, especially if it's a, a trusted relationship, to have a real dialogue about what's happening around us, to share perspectives. And that's where, the, of course, the diversity comes in, the diversity of thought, diversity of experience. We're not comfortable having those true, authentic, yet transparent conversations. But when we're trusting enough of the folks around us to have that conversation, we begin, I think, to see each other in a different light, at least to understand from whence each one of us come. I, I really struggle with this current generation. Struggle is probably not the right word, but encourage them that it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to share. Folks won't agree, but there are lessons in that and there are opportunities and we need to take advantage of those opportunities. Very wise advice. You are clearly a strong leader, Essie. Uh, was there an event or a person that inspired you, had a tremendous influence on the leader you are today and the philosophy that you've just shared with us? Not a single leader or a single event, but I will tell you, I am a product of my upbringing. My parents, I think, did a really good job of establishing a firm foundation, one of faith, one of the golden rule, you know, just treating people the way you want to be treated. And you add to that me being the oldest child in the house and the siblings calling me a bit bossy. Probably all play into that. But just the opportunities I've had throughout my career for people to just invest in me has been enormous. So I just consider myself the result of a huge investment over the last 30 plus years. Did you start out um, when you graduated thinking you were going to work in the Pentagon or did something attract you there? Had no clue. When I finished, well, finishing my senior year, my plan was to go to graduate school, get my MBA and to become an accountant. And the last semester of school, I decided I was just tired and didn't want to go to grad school, which meant I had to find a job. And like most college kids at the time, I joined that mad dash to the placement office with the flurry of resumes and applications. And the Air Force called up one day and said, hey, we're starting an intern program. Would you consider? And off to Montgomery, Alabama, I went as a computer programmer because of the math background that I had. And it started from there. So had you asked me back in 1985 if I would be where I am today, had no clue. But I found just being open to the opportunities and doing the things that my parents taught us, work hard and treat people the way you want to be treated, just set me on the right path. I'm speaking with Essie Miller, Principal Deputy of the Department of Defense Chief Information Office. After the break, we'll discuss the leadership, decision-making, and communication, and why it's important to have the right combination. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network.
I'm Elaine Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black, and today I'm talking with Essie Miller, Principal of the De Department of Defense Chief Information Office. Now, Essie, we, as I said earlier, what is the most important type of decision that you can make as a leader of your organization? I mean, how do you approach it? How do you decide what to do? What is what goes into that process and does it change depending upon the situation? I think you've got different type of decisions you have to make. And on one end of the spectrum is what are those strategic goals for an organization? What do you want to accomplish over a 12 to 24 month period? Much like we're doing with the digital modernization for the department. On the other end, are what are those tactical decisions, those programmatic decisions that play into meeting the milestones and objectives to get you to those strategic goals? That sets the landscape. And then understanding the players that are a part of that and have to be a part of the, the sausage making to get to the, the end, all very critical. And just being able. One, to get a sense for what's happening in the environment, where you may or may not need to pivot, where you need to turn up the heat, or where you can just let things sail. Just you know, a whole litany of dis types of decisions that I think you have to make. But in that, I, I feel a leader just has to be real clear on what they want to get done and that, how that fits into the broader environment. Folks all, always want to talk about the technology, and my alter to that is we need to really look at the mission and business objectives, figure out what it is we want to do, and then let the technology help enable that. And that drives, I think, a lot of the discussions that we have. And then back to what are, what are the skills you need, what type of talent do you need, and let that play into the hiring strategy. So I think that's a whole lot in that space, Aileen, but all very critical, I think, to decision-making for a leader. Do you think the decision process for leaders need to change under stressful times like we're experiencing today um, with COVID-19? I don't know the, that the process needs to change, but I think there are things that we need to be aware of. Because, you know, things here have been pretty harried over the last few months. And it's even more important for leaders to remain calm and objective, but again, aware of what's happening around them. You know, understanding that we may have to make some tough decisions in a fairly short time frame, and we won't have all of the information what we need, but we're needing to take some risk in that. So I don't know that the process changes. I think time may collapse on us and the variables may shift. But the process itself, I think, remains the same. Now, Essie, you have won numerous awards for all your accomplishments. What accomplishment are you most proud of that you've been able to lead your team accomplish during your career? You know, I, I, one, all of those accomplishments were not an effort of my own, but the culmination of, of input and events from the teams and the staffs that I've worked with. I don't know that there is 
a single accomplishment that I'm proud of, but I'm really, really proud of the team that we've put together in DODCIO today. We've got a really solid team in place to execute the digital modernization strategy for the department. And that just excites me as I prepare to leave. As I look back over my career, I've just had some amazing opportunities to do things in every job that I've had and just blessed in that regard. And that in itself, I think, is an accomplishment. Is there something you wish you uh, knew when you got started or something you wish you could have done over? I mean, your career wasn't a straight line. Like you said, you, you thought you were going to uh, get uh, your graduate degree and then you ended up uh, joining uh, the military as a civilian. Um, is there something that you wish you knew or you could have done over or done differently throughout your 30-year career? You know, I had an opportunity in a leadership class a couple years ago to write a letter to my younger self. And my advice was to, one, savor the experience, not to be so hard on myself, to know that it would be okay. I say that now, but I often wonder if I knew that then, if it would change anything. And my guess is somebody probably could have told me all of that. Somebody may have told me all that. I don't know that it would have changed anything that I, I did. Even the mistakes that I made along the way were things that I grew from. The discernment and the wisdom that I share with the generation behind me all come as a result of everything that I've done. I don't know that I, change, I would change anything, but I would remind myself to savor the experience. And so often we get caught up in the day-to-day -day and the run and just take a deep breath and take it all in. You're listening to Leaders and Legend Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Essie Miller, Principal Deputy, Department of Defense, Office of the CIO. You know, Essie, I believe that the best leaders lead by example with humility and passion. Your accomplishments and actions clearly show that you are that type of leader. I, I heard you once say that our biggest mission is developing our next generation of leaders. Tell us about what you mean by that, especially with this extreme shortage we seem to have of high-tech talent across the nation. I look back at myself and my peers as interns some 30 years ago and never would have believed that I, one, that I would be sitting in the job that I am today. And then I look forward to who's coming next. Understanding that we do have a shortage. And my, my challenge to the team has been, we've got to figure out how to change the conversation so that we understand one, where our youth are focused and two, how do we make the opportunities not only in the government, but in the career field very not only transparent but appealing to them because we will always have to compete with our private sector partners 
but we always have to make sure we've got the right folks to serve and are dedicated to the mission. We've got a fair population that may or may not be exposed to the military or the Department of Defense. And now's a great time for us to have those conversations. And I'm encouraging our workforce team to look at having it, not just with the college students, but secondary schools. And let's start planting those seeds early. We also have folks that have a very defined definition of what a cyber workforce looks like, not understanding their diversity of skill set there as well. We need everything from linguists to data scientists to program managers to the hands-on folks. We need to make those opportunities transparent and help shepherd our up-and-comers into those positions and then feed them with the leadership development opportunities so we can shape the next Essie Miller or the next CISO in like Jack Wilmer or Pickerel. How do we start feeding into that now? I, I have an opportunity once or twice a year to go over to a local university and spend time with a couple of classes there. And it just amazes me every time that probably 50, 60% of the students had not considered civil service as an opportunity. We've got to figure out how to make it more appealing. We've got to make sure we educate the youth on the opportunities that are available. When you look at the statistics of uh, the folks in STEM, especially the hard sciences like computer science, the numbers have not been growing uh, as the size of the community that it can access for women and minorities. You work with the underserved communities to develop an interest in opportunities in STEM. Can you tell us about that? Oh, I've had again, some wonderful opportunities to go talk to some of our younger minority students. One about not only the importance of math and hard science, but to connect the dots on the importance of science and technology with the things that they are doing. Specifically those that are very interested in gaming and making a segue into how that goes into our operational construct, how that feeds into how we might execute a mission. Exciting the minds again on the opportunities that are available to them and then connecting with their interest areas. You know, how do you take the areas that they're interested in, connect that to opportunities in the cyber workforce and then help them grow in that? To me, Elaine, it's a matter of conversation and access. And we've got to continue to have that conversation, make opportunities available, and hit some target areas where we typically are not in. I, I see it as a responsibility and an opportunity for us. I'm speaking with Essie Miller, Principal Deputy, Department of Defense, Chief Information Office. Coming up, we'll talk about how marrying your passion with your skills can really drive your career. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Essie Miller, Principal Deputy, Department of Defense, Chief Information Office. 
In the last segment, we talked a little bit about change and um, making decisions in times of crisis. Times of crisis historically have been opportunities for change. When the COVID-19 crisis hit, the Pentagon had to push some of their employees to pivot to telework, if not most of their employees. What have been the biggest challenges for the leaders that they face with this move to working remotely with the mission that you have, the very important mission that you have there in the Pentagon? Oh, Elaine, I oh, keep saying Elaine, I'm sorry, Elaine. It was, as I look back on it, an amazing opportunity for IT leadership across the department to come together to understand what we needed to do as we push the force home. And we put together a task force very early on and made a conscious decision to focus on equipment and network capacity and funding and looking at innovative ways for the staff to work collaboratively from remote locations. And I won't say it was real easy, because of course we had to go from oh, 95,000, I think we had teleworking to just over a million now. Oh my gosh. And that was a tremendous surge, which meant every entity across the department, DISA, JFHQ, Doden, all of the military department CIOs and the staff and NSA had to come together to determine how do we deliver equipment, how do we deliver capability, how do we educate the force on do's and don'ts of telework, how to still be cyber secure as you're working from a remote location, and just making sure they're comfortable using the capability that they, we put in their hands. And no, oh, by the way, at the same time, having to work the infrastructure piece, increasing and shoring up our network capacity, making sure we had enough conference lines, telephone lines to support the force. And then, of course, we pushed out CVR, commercial virtual remote, very, very quickly because of the Office 365 licenses that we already had across the department. We ramped up that capability fairly quickly. And it was clear we had a, one, a very resilient and flexible force but also one that was focused on mission because the more people we pushed out, the higher that demand was. And we just kept the heat going. We started out meeting daily, went to three times a week. We're down now to twice a week. And it's focused on how do we make sure the posture of the department remains solid from a cybersecurity aspect, but we continue to focus on capability and capacity for the force. I mentioned earlier, to me, this really is a mission business discussion, and the IT piece is there to facilitate and enable that. And when you couple those, man, we've got some really positive feedback from folks across the force, even with the the issues that we had along the way. I, I feel pretty confident in saying if we had to go through this again, you know what, we're telework ready. Are you optimistic we're going to emerge from this? Uh, it could be a chance to create a more effective way, actually, to run DOD or even the entire federal government? You know, I think, again, the posture is solid. That's more of a mission and business discussion. 
the capability and the capacity is there. Now it's up to leadership to determine where they want to go and how they want to take advantage of that. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Eileen Black, and today I'm talking with Essie Miller, Principal, Principal Deputy, DOD CIO. So I got to ask you, is, uh, has this reprioritized any of the IT strategy that the DOD CIO office has? That's the great thing about all of this, Elaine. The digital modernization strategy is a huge lift for us, but it's the right focus. You know, we cover cloud, AI, command control and communications, and includes the reform piece. Everything that we are doing in the midst of this COVID pandemic is covered in some way under the digital modernization strategy. That's the beauty of it, because the strategy is written in such a way that it impacts almost everything that we are doing. And it underpins the foundation that I think will endure over time. So I, I'm really, really excited about where we are and the opportunities that are ahead. And even more excited that it's across the department. So if you were to talk to any of the CIOs in the military department, you will hear the same message. And that's great. Essie, you've been in critical roles in the Pentagon and throughout DOD for decades. You're about to retire, as you mentioned earlier. Any advice or comments you would have to leave the folks that will continue the mission, like the folks on your team, the contractors or the leaders in the Pentagon? about what you believe should be the next biggest steps they should take well, or the ma main strategy? My, my message to the team has to been to continue to focus on the strategy that we've put in place and to continue to focus with the mission, on the mission and being mission enablers with that in mind. We just gotta keep at it and we'll see the results over time again won't be easy and there'll be stumbling blocks along the way, but we've got, I'm convinced, the right strategy in place. The team has just got to keep rolling. So what do you think the biggest challenge for the exec government executives would be for, um, you know, post or the aftermath of COVID-19? I think the leadership team will have to be more, even more connected with the force, especially if we continue in this remote environment for a while. You know, it's real easy to understand what's happening with the person when you're laying eyes on them every day. We've got to be more attentive and more connected as folks are dispersed, but at the same time, understanding the workforce is watching and depending on the leadership for an eye toward the future and for making sure we understand their needs and how we bring that together to accomplish our goals. So we've got to take care of the people. It's not cliche, we hear it, but if we take care of the people, the people will take care of the mission, but we also have to help them understand where we're going. So I'm pretty excited, I mean, as I leave. It's just a sweet space to be with everything that's going on around us, I still think 
a department, particularly DODCIO, is focused in the right direction. In the military, there is a term commander's intent where are to, you provide somebody the goals of the mission uh, and you give them that are required to accomplish it, but you don't manage them to focus on that. Do you think it's got a big sway toward that to actually achieve some of the things you were just talking about with the workforce probably maintaining a much larger footprint of telecommuting in the future um, after everything that has just recently happened? Oh, I think the workforce will maintain a focus on accomplishing the mission. I think I said it a bit ago, we saw that in the demand for technology as we began to push people to telework. You know, the fact that folks were asking for capability for voice, video, and chat, capability to do classified work remotely, all of those are to me indicators that folks are really committed to the mission and want to continue to work and serve, which is all very positive. So it's a question of, well, let me rephrase. I don't think it's a question of what we do and what we accomplish. It's a question of making sure that we have provided the team with everything they need to accomplish their mission. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Essie Miller, Principal Deputy, Department of Defense, Chief Information Office. Next, we'll find out what, how Essie's advice to the next generation of federal leaders. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Aileen Black, and today I'm talking with Essie Miller, Principal Deputy of the Department of Defense, Chief Information Office. Essie, I got to tell you, I've read over and over again, it's been said that leadership and communications go hand in hand. What are your thoughts on that? I'd say absolutely. The force looks to leaders for direction as a barometer for the climate and just as a safe space to know that what that they're doing the right thing and that they really are accomplishing mission. I think a leader has a responsibility to set the stage. I talked to high school graduates, the graduating class here, but the message I gave them was a bit threefold. And I would say the same thing to the force. Leaders have to help the force understand one, what their potential is, two, where their purpose lies, and three, the power that they bring to the table. And in order to do that, you have to communicate, you have to show vision, and you have to be self-aware in how you're conveying that such that folks will trust and believe in what you're saying, which may push you to be a little more transparent and vulnerable than you wanna be, but again, it's a risk that I think leaders need to take. But we have to focus on everything we're doing with an eye toward taking care of the people and they won't know how much we care if we don't communicate with them. 
very strong theme on your leadership style that has to do with caring for people. I've also heard you talk about being authentic and being vulnerable. Can you explain how you do that when you're laying out mission or, or, or talking to your teams? I mean, that's a real important concept of very, very successful leaders. When I'm either picket meeting with an individual or with a group, specifically if they're talking an issue in the workplace or professional development, I always find it easier when I use my personal examples or give them a little bit of myself. People have a tendency, I think, to look at leaders and not understand that we've walked the path that they're on that we've had challenges, we've made mistakes, and it's so much easier to connect and help them understand by sharing a little bit of myself. So I use those experiences and my stories, sometimes even personal, to help them see their way through whatever it is they're dealing with. I often share with folks my first conversation when trying to decide whether I wanted to become a senior executive or not, was with a female senior executive, but not about how to become an executive, but how to balance being a wife, having a family and a career, or if there was a such, such thing as a balance there. I use that as an example of, it's not a typical conversation folks think that they can have. My encouragement both ways is to be willing to share those stories, to share those experiences, because that next leader may be sitting there and in front of you, and that may be exactly what they need to hear. So I always leave a little bit of myself with whoever I'm talking to. And so you can really hear your passion for your team, your mission. Um, do you believe marrying your passion with your skill sets really have fueled your career? Oh, absolutely. And I stumbled along the way in that. Remember, I was planning to go into accounting. I had no idea that the math classes I took as an undergrad would lead to a career as a programmer, or that leading into a career in the cybersecurity arena, or even as a CIO or leader in the CIO community. But it was a great opportunity to marry the penchant for people with the penchant for technology and just operate in a sweet spot. Now you wrap that with folks who care and invest in you and it has worked, it's worked well for me. And that's what I, the part of the message to, I think it's value, will be valuable for the next generation to hear. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government on Federal News Network. I'm Elaine Black. And today I'm talking with Essie Miller, Principal Deputy, Department of Defense, CIO. Essie, as we talked about before, you're about to retire. So tell us what's next. Oh, wow. I've had an absolutely amazing career. So, and it's been, yeah, 35 years. Since two weeks, 
after graduating from college. So my intent is to take some time to just decompress, breathe a little bit, and spend some time with the family, the immediate family and my parents. And then, you know, I'll figure out what's next. The cool thing is, it's a wide open opportunity for me. I just have to figure out what it looks like. And I'm so looking forward to it. Now, your husband retired first, correct? He did. He retired back in the fall of last year. So he's got a head start on me. If, uh, if there's a listener out there that would like to follow in your footsteps, what advice would you have? And you've shared some very inspirational things about how to approach leadership, but what about becoming S.E. Miller, uh, you know, in the role that you are at the Pentagon? To be open and flexible to opportunities, because it definitely was not a straight path. It may be zigzag and my path may be a whole lot different from anybody else's or those around us. But you gotta be open and flexible to the opportunities because each one of those stops will offer you something different. And each of those nuggets that you pick up in different jobs will help one, establish your performance, credibility, reputation, but also give you an opportunity to just connect with the mission which postures you for leadership opportunities that you can't imagine. Several of the opportunities I've had over my career came to me. I didn't go looking for them. Several of the opportunities I've had were very tough. But if I had to do it over again, I would. I'd say take the hard with the easy. Don't be afraid to take risk. And just step out there with the heart toward what you want to do and it'll work out. You're listening to Leaders and Legend in Government. My guest today has been Essie Miller. Essie, I just gotta thank you for your 35 years of incredible service to this nation. I wanna thank you for joining us today and sharing your personal journey and some extremely valuable advice during these very tough, stressful times. I'm Eileen Black, thank you for listening. You've been listening to Leaders and Legends in Government with Aileen Black. Subscribe to this podcast at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One.